0: Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, And brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Stop it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rough week, huh? Yeah.
0: I thought for forty-eight hours how I was going to say that. I just got to start with "stop dying," but you know, somebody very near and dear to us did not adhere to the rules of the podcast,
1: Chuck. Yeah, you know, not adhere to it. There was a good thing from uh, from from the guys in Wisconsin that said, you know, Mike's goal was to die of anything other than drug and alcoholism.
0: And, yeah. uh, and yeah, he did. Yeah. So he- no, I would. I don't want to start off like that. He died yeah. of a thing related to drug addiction, Chuck. So anyway, yeah. for you that don't know by now, by the wonders of X and and Facebook and all the idiocracy on the WW web, Mike Mart has passed away from from liver cancer, and it was slow and sudden and crazy and sad and i've never been affected by a death like i have this last 48 hours like i've cried 30 40 times just for no reason and uh and you know and i just lost another band member this year dick steny the great dick steny it didn't hit me like this mike was a different person a strange and beautiful and stubborn and yeah, like
1: i was gonna oh. say you can't get <laughs> grumpy <laughs> but grumpy and caring and loving but cantankerous is all get out uh, uh but uh, but but i loved him the way he was you know i would one have of changed, a
0: kind one of a kind know. person they don't they you know i i say this a lot but mike is unique to that and that they don't, there's never going to be another Mike Mart. There will never be another top Jimmy. there will never be another, all of these people of my generation, they they're not making other ones because part of it is realizing your place in the world being insignificant. Right. I would say Mike's main thing that frustrated me the most about him was his ridiculous amount of humility like too humble too not not standing up for what is his rightful what he earned right and so what's happened over the last two days is listening to his music what we have right. is mike mart's music
1: and there's a bunch. i listened
0: to a record he and i made called stormy weather the day before he died and i heard it like i heard it for the first time ever And he's just had a way of making music that is so you can't point to any one thing that's, Oh, that's why it's good. Like you could point to my lyrics. Oh, he writes songs about everyday stuff like Norwood says, or Anthony's stuff or, or the way John puts chords together. There's no particular Mike Mart thing you can point to, but it's always just so emotional. There's a song called oh, Across the Pond. I listened to it 10 times last night in a row. I cried for an hour. I don't even know why. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. And Mike Mart, this crazy cantankerous, drunken, crack-smoking, cut off a piece of his skin to get it sampled, to prove to us that there were bugs in his skin. wrote these things that are just indefinably beautiful. The song across the pond. Uh, It's about migrating animals, seeing a storm coming and, and finding refuge at this pond. And it turns out there's hunters at that pond and all hell breaks loose. And Mike makes the hell break loose just with his guitar. I talked to Martine who played bass on it. It's just, it's just bass. Drums, piano, and Mike, that song. Like eight, That's 10 great. tracks. And it's sounds just the huge. most beautiful song. Yeah. It's so huge and it doesn't even sound human. The sounds that he made on his guitar, it sounds like bullets, it sounds like rain, it sounds like, you know, just beautiful. So, you know, we have Mike's music um we you know for months we knew that mike was sick and kind of we suggested here on the podcast that he talk about it or i certainly did and he did not want to talk about it i i think he felt Great that Chrissy relapsed and Bug was sick, so he wouldn't have to talk
1: about <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, you know all these I mean? distractions. Yeah,
0: I would text him in the middle of the show. Do you want to talk about it? He's like, nope.
1: <laughs> did you Did you see the Facebook post he did after our "Don't Die," where he where he kind of put it out there and said, you know, don't leave me any bullshit thoughts and prayers, or don't you got this. Uh, yeah, you know, and it was just like, and I say you can't keep me from doing that, but. You know, I understand he was not big on small talk. Uh, he always but wanted to know more about other people than he wanted to share about himself, which was kind of frustrating because even though I knew him for a long time, I, I didn't get to know him as well as I would have liked to.
0: Well, there's two sides of Mike Mart. There's the sober side and there's the music side. And so the sober side, the kindness and the things that he's done for people that people have told me over the last two days um n- nothing surprises me how kind he is that no. that he always involved Ashley and Chris Carey and Assam, you know, and was thoughtful towards them. They expressed like how kind he was and thoughtful as a sober man in this world walking amongst us. But the other side to me. You know me, Chuck. I don't give that far too much credit about sobriety. <laughs> I, I think, I think, you know, to pat yourself up on the back for being nice to people and being sober, like, fuck mm-hmm. you. but, but when somebody passes, we got to be nice about that. He was very kind, very thoughtful. Most sober people, I mean, I don't know that many sober assholes. Uh, uh, the, well, uh, well, you know, you know, though,
1: Bob, this is funny because uh, uh, what's uh, across the pond? I wasn't sure if I had it because I didn't look at titles of his songs, but it's on my phone and it popped up number three in the random on the way to the airport to go up north. And I hadn't really, oh my god, how I hadn't. Is that? And you would just talk to me about it. And so I shared it with, with bug when bug, when we were up north, I shared it with bug and he goes, does he have other songs? And so we listened to the whole tomorrow shines bright record. And, uh, and he, and he was like, that's really good. I need to send him a message. So we made a video of him saying, Mike Marta, hope you feel better. And I really like your songs. Yeah. And so he went down a rabbit hole. Bug went down a, a YouTube rabbit hole, and you're in a lot of things that have anything to do with Mike Mark. Yeah. And there's there's footage of you going, "I can't believe it. Vote for whoever you want. I don't even care about politics. Tell me, sobriety can't change people. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Vote for whoever you want." I'm looking. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my God, I don't even know that guy." Yeah, but <laughs> but,
0: but to me, like the sobriety. I mean, I've known so many sober people. I've been sober a long time. Mike's been sober a long time. Um, you know, I know hundreds and hundreds and th- if not thousands of sober people that have died. And basically when they die, the memorial, is just the kindness and the thoughtfulness of their sobriety and how seriously they took it. It's all the same. But nobody can ride across the pond. No one. I, I can't. I sent it to Anthony last night. He listened to it and he's like, "That is a perfect song. That's a perfect song." I mean, you're talking about the elite of elite lyricists in the world, and and it's just like I that every lyric, it you know. I I remember when he first played it for me. It was a demo like 20 years ago, and I just said, "Dude, this is what? Did, what made you write this?" And he goes, "Oh, I don't know." And I was like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> see, there's the like, humility. Well, I, I
1: don't know. Just... <laughs> you
0: no, know, the way it gets worse. So then I'm saying like, Mike, this is profound. You know, you, you're not stupid. You know, this is like the This is like, well, you know, this is heavy, heavy meaning man versus nature and life and death and existence. And this is heavy. And he's just, it's just a
1: fucking song. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's my song. But you know, he loved, he loved all that stuff. He was a student of it. He lived it. He lived music. Even when he wasn't making it, he was around it. He, he sought out songwriters. He sought out individual songs. He, he loved the nuances, everything. I mean, if there's anybody that was totally music, it was all was the
0: time it? with him. His mu- music was like, you know, I knew him for 41 years. I don't know, only Luis Garcia, my friend from high school, do I know it longer than Mike Mark. And that I, you know, he'll talk to, see whatever, think about. And that's the longest. And And all of that time was just about songs. 41 years about songs. I can give you thousand different instances where he says guy yeah, have you heard this and sometimes he was totally <laughs> wrong too that neil young <laughs> shitty record fuck the president he mike loved that record i was like i listened to it as like it's unlistenable what are you fucking listening to
1: he you know, heard things he, you didn't he heard things but, you didn't <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you
0: <laughs> i'm not a I'm not a musician like him but but uh but Magic and Loss by Lou Reed. Lou Reed lost two of his friends in the same year to cancer, and he wrote a whole album about it called Magic and Loss. And I've been—I since Mike took a turn for the worse a few weeks ago, I've been listening to that record, and it has such great lines like "To cure you, they must kill you." Sword of Damocles above your head—it's just like I think about how much Mike loved that record, and now he's living it. Like it literally lined up to what was going on. And this, uh, this, the album is about a songwriter, Doc Pomas, friend of Lou Reed's, and his best friend, this woman, photographer, fashion woman, um, songs. So that's all I've listened to. And they make me cry. And they, hey, here's another Mike Mart one for you. So he tells me when I get sober in <laughs> 1996, I start hearing that he's, you know, how you're, upset with somebody so i'm homeless junkie no front teeth whatever and mike Mart, sober got a big record deal with interscope and he's playing concerts with low and sweet and i'm hearing from junkies that vacillate that go between the two worlds that see low and sweet at whatever at at the Spaceland or something and then i see them smoking crack like skate master tate or whatever and they're telling me mike Mart's talking shit about me right? And I'm like, Dang. oh, that's great. This is like 1994 or something, 93. And, and 94, 95, maybe. And because uh, I got sober in 96. So then I get sober and Mike and I are hanging out. And I say, you know, like people were telling me that you're like talking about me before your songs and stuff. And he goes, oh, I wrote a song about you. And I used to intro and say, I'd always said I hope Bob's okay and stuff like that. It was always, wasn't mean, you know, but you were. Homeless and you were a junkie and everybody Knew it so it wasn't like like, (laughs) You know this song Is about Bob and how much I love him And whatever and I hope he's okay Tonight or what he would say things like that Which the little gossipy people Told me was talking shit about me right Which Uh... was it which when you're Fragile it is talking shit about you (laughs) You know what I mean don't talk about my business To your fucking low and sweet Orchestra crowd you know so oh. then he tells me and he plays <laughs> me this song, it's called Take a Long Look, right? That's on the low and sweet first record. There's another part that's about a girl, but it's a lot of it's about me, some of it's about smog, but the gist of it is about um a friendship that lasts through thick and thin, through drugs, through anything. And they would he, he and the chorus says, and there's no one that could replace you, right? And I listened to it the other night. And it's just so oh, fuck. Fucking heavy, man. To have that kind of love for people that Mike had, and um so then about ten years ago, I refer to it. I go, "Well, that song that oh, when we we're playing McCabe's, because he always wants uh-huh. to do this. He's kind of a lazy musician too. He always wants to do the same song. <laughs> same
1: songs. I noticed <laughs> right, that on the YouTube shit. bug's like, well, <laughs> going through, and, and the same song.
0: And that false humility of him like i said let's do some of your songs because we're doing like the lonely sponsor bicycle thief and like and we did cc rider which was originally called easy rider because we did that song the first time we played together so i said we'll do easy rider but we'll do like some some of your songs and and i said or we could do take a long look and you sing half of it uh, and he goes oh no i'm not doing take a long look and i go well i mean it might be impactful to the audience. It's a song you wrote about me. Because I didn't write that song about you. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, he just introduced <laughs> it as this is about This <laughs> like, yes,
0: but I but I realized it's just he didn't want to play his songs. He had this thing about mm-hmm. now that's your thing. That's you. That's you know, Thelonious is you and I got my thing. And and I that's why Thelonious... Had this this instability was once we made stormy weather in 1988 so we'd only been a band for like five years or whatever four years and Mike joins it and just made it something unique and different and didn't sound like anything else it didn't sound like the replacements anymore it didn't sound like gun club it didn't sound like any, it sounded like a real it had its own original sound that all comes from Mike certainly Dix, Pete, Rob, Chris we all fell in line, but it was Mike Mart. It was like Mike Mart took over Thelonious Monster and made it something unique and special and beautiful. And then we make that record in like three weeks, and then we got to go on tour. And then he's like, Well, I don't want to go on tour. And he, you know, we all assumed he's in the band. He's like, I'm not really in the band. And I was like, Well, you just wrote half the songs <laughs> and you dictated the sound of the guitars, and it's, it's definitely got your stamp of somewhere between the rolling stones and gun club like what are you talking about mike and he goes no Thelonious is you and pete's thing like i got to do my own thing and and i I was just like no this is our thing so that that stubbornness that he had right he just made things up in his mind and then you know the two shall never they can't be he couldn't merge into anything that's why Jeffrey wanted him in Gun Club. He could never be in Gun Club with Jeffrey because that's Jeffrey's thing. And then this low and sweet, when it was blowing up, that's Xander's thing. And so I think that Mike was a throwback era person. He should have just been wandering American highways playing songs. You know what I mean? That's what he was. He was a human. Jukebox from 1986 or 87 when we started hanging out every day to like 89 when we had a falling out over Thelonius. He wrote a great new song about every week. You're talking about a hundred songs. Songs that he never recorded. Songs that he barely put on a cassette. Like Bobby Kennedy and Top Jimmy. There's a song called Top Jimmy. There's a song called Gina the Snake Lady. I was singing it. To Johnny Two Bags license the other night, or to, or, or to somebody, uh, because it's about this person that he met on tour with Texan the Horseheads uh, named Gina, and she was a stripper in Philadelphia, and he wrote a song about about falling in love for a week, right? And and the oh. chorus says gina the snake lady i'm so glad i found you gina the snake lady in some way you touch my heart and i hope this song makes up for all the money that i still owe you <laughs> 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 I mean, it's like it's woody guthrie only kind of like Mart, yeah <laughs> you know with a stripper in philadelphia but he and he would write all these songs And they just never – and he'd finish them. They weren't like my songs or friends of mine that are songwriter songs. you got a verse and you don't really have a chorus. You don't have a bridge. You never really finish the lyrics. They were full songs. They had verses and chorus and bridge and all the lyrics. And he would write it in a week and then he would play it for everybody for like two weeks and then it would disappear, right? Uh And some would reappear. Shoes are dirtier than mine that's on the solo record. That's on – That's on the record you're talking about, right? Yeah, it's just called Shoes. He wrote that in 1986. I remember when he wrote that because I was mad about it because I felt like it was hypocritical. And it was about his girlfriend at the time whose parents were very wealthy. Just because your parents are wealthy, that doesn't – I thought she was just a wonderful person. And she still is. I mean, I never see her. It's been thirty years, but she was just a cool, wonderful person who tolerated the intolerable nonsense of him for fucking years. And then he turns <laughs> around and writes that song about how she's the one. Like I was like, no that that's a sh- that's shitty, Mike. Your shoes are dirtier than
1: anybody's. <laughs> uh, you know, though, when when we were recording where you are right now, no. Yeah, it was right there where you are. No, but we used to record at your place. Yeah, and I would go over there, and I I, I gave Mike some ideas that I had, and it was when I was still in Smut Peddlers. And I go, man, I've been wanting to record these. Maybe we can. Uh, you can help me out with them. And he goes, uh, you know what? What John Doe said w- to me was, uh, you should always uh, always give songs life. Never let them die in your head. And that's the reason I have the band I have right now and didn't just pick up playing bass with somebody that's already established because I pulled all those songs out and I put them to life. So, I mean, talk about someone actually changing the course of things. It'd be a lot easier to just plug into some band that's already got gigs and a following and just to get out there and make music. But this way I've been, I've been showing my songs to four other people and I'm not afraid of it because of something he said to me just in passing that didn't maybe mean a lot to him but it meant a lot to
0: me. Well, what he would do is he'd finish the song. What he songs were like the, the music business says how we think of success, failure, you know, the corporatization of music is, and Mike didn't think that way. Mike really wanted to impress other songwriters with his songs. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why he loved McCabe's. And I think I've been thinking if we're going to do a memorial, or I'm going to do something musical. It should be at McCabe's. Yeah, that was our spot. I mean, the other thing, I mean, I I also was so proud of what me and Mike did. Like, there was no people, other than we kind of, are the people we really idolized or looked up to were Peter Case, John Doe, and Steve Wynn, right? They're three of the greatest songwriters in Los Angeles history. And they, about in 84, 85, started playing McCabe's, which prior to that, You know, it was like I remember I had tickets to go see um, I forget Lightning Hopkins at McCabe's, and he died before he played. Um, But we used to go see Dave Van Ronk there, and all the old folkies from the early '60s in New York, and we'd go see old blues guys and Doc Watson, and some of the greatest you know musicians in the history played at McCabe's, but punk rockers didn't like rock people didn't. You know, sometimes like Nicolette Larson would play there who played with Neil Young and then maybe Jackson Brown would play a song with her or something. But but it was mostly the old guard, the legendary, iconic folk singers, Cisco Houston, that type of crowd played McCabe's. Then all of a sudden, John Doe and Peter Case started playing McCabe's. Like in 84, 85. And so then me and Mike started thinking, like, could we do that? Could we get a whole set to play McCabe's? And McCabe's was the whole focus. Then when we started realizing we can about 86, 87, and that you make more money playing McCabe's than you do in Thelonious Monster, then we loved McCabe's. (laughs) We fucking loved it. And we must have played there 10 times or 15 times, 20 times. I mean, um, And so that was the spot and that's where we started to develop like hey we don't just have to you know for me i don't just have to imitate darby crash and then make good records as best i can but i i mccabe's and me and mike's acoustic love and and the thing that we could do together that didn't have anything to do with anybody else and mccabe's was our spot and I remember we opened for Steve Earl there one time and it's just like, man, we are fucking arrived. You know what <laughs> I mean? Opening for Steve Earl and and then eventually headline there, then eventually being able to play their two sold out things consistently because they have an eight o'clock and a ten o'clock show. And um and that's where I played my last concert. Actually, it was there twelve years ago. That the that Nate made an album of. It's me and Mike, and then it's Josh yeah. and the family of people that I've played with. Josh and
1: and yeah,
0: Josh. Um, and um. So, anyways, I just I just can't believe he's dead. But then I know I knew that he was dying, and um, uh, and he was not afraid of dying. I was with um Couple times in this last week, he, it, like he's he's not afraid. I don't know. There's there part of Mike. My, my, he's half Cherokee, or who knows? He lied a lot. Maybe a third Cherokee. <laughs> but but something about it was really it was really he. There was no fear. There was no fear. He told me three weeks before that last. You know, whenever he got taken off the pla- transplant list. Mm-hmm. He told me they took me off the transplant list and I said, "Why?" I said, "What's the plan?" He goes, "There is there's is no plan." And he goes, "But I've lived a good life." And you could tell there was, it wasn't it wasn't posturing, it wasn't fake stoicism. No. He had yeah. thought about it and he accepted it and 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 then even then I think both of us thought like, "Well, you still got 6 months or a year." I remember thinking that um but it's been really hard doing the podcast because he kept me in the dark about certain things i know he was telling smog i know deb and his ex-wife and his girls knew about what was going on but uh i know smitty didn't because smitty was as surprised as me of how bad it was but Mm. but he kept me in the dark and i realized because he
1: was scared i was gonna say something on the podcast (laughs) well and he didn't want to talk about it i think you called it that's that's i like you know, the things that I loved about Mike Mart were also frustrating as fuck. You know, his his whole John Wayne, quiet man, tough guy if he needed to be. But, you know, th- there was also so much more to him than that. If you got to know him and every, I think, the, you know, it, it, it's so weird. If you look on YouTube right now, there's so many Mike Mart tributes from like India and shit where they're just. Reading the same thing that someone else wrote, I guess, just to get views to make YouTube money. <laughs> and so there's all these weird things where they're mispronouncing his names and they're saying te and the horse see hey and bibbity bobbity boo and all this weird shit. And, and but there's like a bunch of things up there. But I read the thing in the from the, the Long Beach newspaper, Eddie Avalos sent it to me. And it, it's so it it is like disorienting I guess is a good way to put it because there are things that I believe to be true but it still doesn't still doesn't sum it up because he did keep even though Bug was going through what he was going through he would say just like I understand man I've got similar issues but he didn't do anything to deserve it he goes he didn't earn he didn't earn this the way I earn mine you well, know and he was well, let's
0: so go that's, that's been a lot of the texts from people from New York and back east, so like asking me, you know. And I told him this when he said he was going to keep it secret. I don't know, eight months ago. I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, you know. That's how he said. And and I knew one thing I know about Mike Mark when he says something that emphatically that he's not going to. Like, because I can say a lot of things, and I'll change my mind in three hours. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, by the end of the podcast, sometimes it's
0: <laughs> not like that. So I knew, like, how are we going to keep him dying secret and be, do this podcast?
1: And and every time I said don't (laughs)
0: die for the last eight months, I was like, is everybody hearing that? If you go back and listen to what I'm saying, I'm like fucking with
1: Mike a a little bit. (laughs) Amy showed me the first five minutes of the last one. She goes, you know, Bob talked about death for the first five minutes. And I go, no, he didn't. Because I don't listen to these back, and it just you know by the end of, by the end of the conversation, I've forgotten what we talked about at the beginning because it was just us hanging out, right? Right. But but she played it for me, and I was just like, "Damn, Bob was all over it." And then you know us thinking we were going to do one. Last well, because Tuesday. I think we're linked.
0: I think people are linked together, and I think Mike thought of the, yeah that John Wayne. Everybody's these separate individuals. Thus, Thelonious monsters, Bob's and Pete's thing. You know, texting the Horses is this Texas thing. Gun Club is Jeffrey's thing, and then Low and Sweet is Vander's thing, and then his thing is him. But the problem was he was better with all those five people that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You're just better when you're when you're working together with other creative, talented people, and you put your all into it. Right? I, that's what. Like I just took for granted. Once we started making Stormy Weather, and it was just like magical making that record. Like he just said, "I hate I," you know, he's passed away now, so I can say it. But, but it was a different era, Chuck. I'm going to say it. So we're rehearsing, or we're going through songs that we've got for Stormy Weather, and he, we're sitting outside, and he was smoking. I didn't smoke at the time, and uh, and he goes, well, "We should do a cover song. All these bands do cover songs." Like you know, Chili Peppers had done Higher Ground. A lot of bands had had hits with cover songs, right? And I said, "What song?" And he goes, "Well, you love that Tracy Chapman. We we should we should you know do that." And um,
1: what the fast and and (laughs) then he
0: said, "Here's the politically incorrect thing, or some other chick that's popular." (laughs) That's about (laughs) it.
1: You know, some other popular chick. Yeah,
0: but he had this thing that. And I don't know why it was, but that if we were going to do a cover song, that was going to be of a girl, a successful girl songwriter. And so we, he and I tried, worked on fast cars. I think we did it live a couple of times, but fast cars is intrinsically unique to Tracy Chapman.
1: Right. And so he said,
0: so I think he took Tracy Chapman's record that was very popular at the time. I think it won like six Grammys. It was number one album in the country. And she was, she blew up from coffee houses to arenas in like nine months much like people do nowadays and and she was magnificent just a magnificent artist and great songwriter so i think he sat there with that record just trying to figure out which one fit us (laughs) and it was it was for my lover right and he played it and that just kind of fit and then he and I always did see that my grave's kept clean acoustically when we play McCabe's or we'd play the little acoustic sets in the Thelonious Monster set. Um because Bob Dylan did it on his first album, the first folk record, uh see that my grave is kept clean. So we'd always do that. And then it you know, and we kind of knew the history that that it wasn't Bob Dylan Bob Dylan wasn't even the first folky to really m- m- lay his to claim to that song. It was a guy named Dave Van Ronk who had on his record, like in 1959 and it's written by blind lemon Jefferson in 1928. So, so we're playing the caves opening for Dave Van Ronk and Dave Van Ronk is this huge, huge guy. Like he was Bob Dylan's mentor and idol and whatever. And he's this huge guy. And he had a big hunchback, Right. Uh, I I didn't know why, but he, and he could barely, you know, he'd lumber around, you know, he couldn't really get around very good. And I, we had met him and just, I had gone and seen him there before and told him, you know, I have a band. We do, we do see that my grave is kept clean and, and he goes, oh good, whatever. And me and Mike are playing on stage at McCabe's and I looked up and I could see Dave Van Ronk just blocking out the entire light of upstage of upstairs, (laughs) you know, watching us do that. And he said, and then later on, when we came back upstairs, he said, I love that, that version, that fast version. He loved it. And that was a great compliment to us. But anyways, Mike had this unique ability to think of himself as, as one separate entity not connected to the world. And I just always felt like it's connected. That's why I talk about everything. When I die you're gonna and he said it did when you're, when you're, when your time is up, you're going to talk about it every second. But me, I'm different. And I get that. But I said to him, this was probably five or six months ago. I said, Mike, people are going to, you're just going to, all of a sudden you're not going to exist. And people are going to think you used and died because that's what all people think of addicts when they die. Yeah. And many yeah. people have texted me, O.D., question mark? No. And I knew that was going to happen if you were going to keep it se- secret. So I want it all out in the open. Mike Mart had liver cancer. He was told in January or February that he had a tumor, right? Is that, when you, how, is that like about when, Chuck, that you remember? I, I think. It was the beginning of the year. I was going to my hear, own I didn't hear.
1: Till, I didn't hear hear till later. No. He told you okay, before so he told me.
0: So, but when you have a tumor, many of our friends have had tumors on the liver and they mm-hmm. can radiate it, they can chemo it, they you know, and the plan was that he, they stabilize it or catarize it or whatever. I don't know exactly because you're, like I'm saying, he kept everything a secret, but I knew that right. he had a tumor. I knew that he had tumor and I knew they had the medical people that he was dealing with had a plan for it. And one of the plans was to get on the transplant list right away. And he told the funniest story about when they <laughs> no. finally interview you for the transplant. So he goes, Well, and he loves, you know, he's just he was a great storyteller. So, you know, and I <laughs> am not the most exact storyteller, but this is how he says it went. So there's two stages of the transplant list. One is whether you qualify to be on the transplant list. So that those questions go like plus minus, like you're sitting there and you got and you've got pluses and minuses as to whether you get it to get on the transplant list. And one was you have minor children. That's a plus. Um, negative was age, right? He was over 60 mm-hmm. or, you know, not in the greatest health or whatever. So you got these plus minuses and then, but then they didn't know he was a native American. So then they said that question, are you, is there any native American, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and he said the lady lit up like uh, like that was a big plus to be Native American. Ding, ding, so ding, now ding. we're we're trying to make up for the trail ta- tra- tale of trail of tears by giving livers to Native mm-hmm. American. This is American healthcare, Chuck. This is fucking uh, American
1: healthcare. Well, you know, I gotta so, interrupt you right there. Wait, wait a second. This is funny because I'll forget. I know a guy who is one five hundred and twelfth. Native American, 1,512. <laughs> and he goes, that means if you cut me into 512 pieces, only one of those little pieces is Indian. And he goes, I get all the benefits as if I was 100%. <laughs> well,
0: so does uh, whoever it is from Massachusetts, remember? Pocahontas, whatever. Call her. <laughs> whatever <that was.
1: laughs>
0: Don't quote Trump. Oh, look, we've Trump. already gone off the rails. Mike's yeah. on. No, but, I can't but, believe Mike's gone. I know, but, but so listen, it gets even funnier. So then he's, they get, he gets on the transplant list. So obviously the pluses outweighed the minuses, right? Right. Yeah. And, and so then, but you would then have to interview like all the details of transplant or something. So then he says, this is what he said. It must've been like, you know, it's one of those people that you always complain about. Like, you know, that don't even know what they're doing. They're just following the orders on the computer. And the girl asked him if he would consider going to a nearby state if a liver became available.
1: <laughs> would, he, would he consider
0: going to a nearby state
1: if a liver became available?
0: And he said, he said, he said to her, Has anybody ever said no to that question? <laughs> I guess somebody would say, uh, well, somebody say, uh, you know, I'll go to Arizona, but I'm not yeah, going Nevada. to New Mexico.
1: <laughs> Nevada, Arizona, but that's as far as I'm going.
0: <laughs> Wait, I'll only how about this? I'll only go to blue states.
1: So <laughs> I'll go to
0: Arizona and Nevada for now, but if this is after the 2024 election and they turn red, I'm not going there. Why is there a, a thing next to your it's a thumbs up next to your face on the podcast? I don't thing. know. Anyways, so he says. He says, you know, has anybody ever said that? And she doesn't get the joke like most millennials don't get anything. So he says, that's a joke. And she goes, oh, so does that mean that you're not willing or willing to go to <laughs> a <new laughs> oh, box?
1: no. And then he
0: said he realized she's just had a computer waiting to click the one or the other box. Right?
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> or no. Just give me a yes or no, sir. What,
0: what should you consider going to a nearby state to get a liver? Oh, my God. What kind of society do we have? What kind of health care do we have? What kind of world do we have?
1: <laughs> Wait a it's second. It, isn't that always in movies where they're trying to get a heart or a kidney on a plane or in a van <laughs> and they got arrested <laughs> somewhere? What happened so now to that? They,
0: they've clarified that. And now you have to go to it. Right. And okay. I figured we, we even joked about like, how did that become a question on the questionnaire? And no, it had to have been rich. that they didn't ask somebody in California, a liver became available and they couldn't afford to go there and they died and their family sued the liver, whatever. And so now they have to ask, are you willing? You're going to have to you get yourself there. We're not paying for you. The government or Kaiser is not paying for you to get to Arizona. You know what I mean? It's got to have been some lawsuit that caused that question for sure. But like, why else would they ask, would you be willing to go to a nearby state? So anyways, three weeks ago, he, he, uh, called me and said that he was taken off the transplant list. And that was, you know, he knew what that meant. I knew what that meant. And and here we are. I I still thought it would be a lot longer. And, um, and I, you know the thoughts and prayers thing that he didn't want. um and I think that applies to all the fakeness there's there's a fakeness in death that I've witnessed my whole life like I, I always go back to my dad's funeral. my dad's funeral, I was fifteen years old, open casket, Catholic, open casket and he had been you know, withering away in a nursing home for six months. So he weighed about 88 pounds, didn't look like himself at all. They tried to try to make him look like himself. And you all gotta walk past and look at him like and this woman, Irene Erdman, whom my dad and her never got along because they were so much alike, I think, who lived two houses up from us. I was sitting there, like I always tell people, it was like I felt like because the Godfather Part Two was out, and I felt like Michael Corleone, like I'm taking over. Come, really come, come to is. me, really? and now it's my family, it's my family. <laughs> so, Dang. so, but Irene Irwin went up and kissed my dad's dead body face, right? And I just felt like, oh my god, they didn't, she didn't even like him. Like, but you know what I mean? But it was just this dramatic thing. And I think people don't know how to act around death. And so they overdo it or they, they, uh, they over like saturate you with false. And that's what Mike was against. Like, don't be thoughts and prayers. Don't be acting like whatever. But, but in see that my grave, I think, you know, see that my grave means see that I'm remembered. Well, that's what I always think. Yeah. Think, see that? See the people. In memory, yeah. you're, the, you're the people who knew me. You talk about me. You carry me on. And Mike was flawed and beautiful and sudden and dramatic and crazy. And I've been told so many great stories. Time he tried to kill me on stage. He tried to kill. There's no doubt. I saw the look in his eye. He drank <laughs> drinking. he drank a fifth of fucking Jagermeister. Um, two stories. One one was, we're playing somewhere over the Chili Peppers in uh, the big place. I think I don't know where it was. I think it was San Francisco, but I I, you know, I can't remember. And he wasn't there. Like, often at the beginning of the set, Mike wasn't there. And I'm just like, we'll go without him because we saw Chris and Mike and uh, Dix, right? So we'll go without him. But Mike did a lot of the solo intros of Sammy Hagar and a lot of things whatever. So you kind of push the songs that Mike's critical to in the set list. Like he looked down, like, Oh, skip that. And just, you know, so what if I did, we really couldn't do without him because it's his song It's it's every he does everything. So, um, so it's about the third song and I open my eyes cause I sing with my eyes closed and I'm just looking out at the crowd, you know, and I see Mike in the audience with some girl and I'm like, and I get, get Louie like what the, the, the fucking Mike's standing, right? to the right back there, like about a hundred feet back. And they go and get him. He comes up and, and uh, I go, what the fuck are you doing out there? And he's like, I just wanted to see what we sounded like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no big deal.
0: Yeah. No big deal. It doesn't sound right because you're not up here. You fucking idiot.
1: It's missing something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we really need another part in a lot of these but songs. Like I said it
0: to Devin, his ex-wife, and uh, I said, yeah, the heart of a lion and the mind of a, a you know, petulant child. Like what? <laughs> and I, and I swear to God, when I said, Mike, it sounds like shit because you're, they're your song. You're not up here playing. It, how you can't have that experience that you want. Oh no, it sounded good. Like it sounded great. <laughs> like, no, there was no lead guitar. There it wasn't. It didn't sound great. And so then the second one was he, we, kind of me and rob graves wouldn't let him leave places right and and you gotta understand and i'm one of the most fucked up human beings on the face of the earth and i'm caretaking mike Mart. that's how fucked up he is me and rob (laughs) graves rob graves who's died of drugs me who's the worst homeless you know it became homeless drunken you know person but when we were a band mike mart was the one we had to look out for because he would disappear between soundcheck and the gig. He would go somewhere and God knows where he would go. And if he would come back. <laughs> so so we took to like me and Rob were roommates on the road and we would just like talk about it. Like, you know, let's keep track of Mike tonight. You know, we're in, you know, somewhere that's bad, which is every town in America for him. But we, I think we're in Chicago. Like let's keep track of Mike. Right. And so we wouldn't let him leave the club. And we, a lot of times, you know, you sound check at seven or six, you have dinner at the club or at the place or whatever, and then you don't play till 10, 15 or something. So there's that two hours, three hours where you got to keep track of him. So we wouldn't let him go anywhere and we're just hanging out and whatever. He drinks the whole bottle of Jägermeister in our dressing. Then we walk out and I literally, I'm not, it's not, It's not an exaggeration. He was so drunk he couldn't put the metal part of the cord into his guitar, and it because he played really low, and he was just he was leaning over, he (laughs) couldn't stand up and get that thing down up under there. And I was watching him. He was doing it. This is not exaggerating. He was doing it for five minutes. Like stumbling around and nobody won't let anybody help him. Telling the roadie, get the fuck away from me. Like, you know, just fucking crazy. <laughs> and I'm just watching this, standing there about to play for an hour and a half with this drunken guy who's gonna play not even half the set. And he's, he loved it. When he'd get drunk, he'd fuck up something and throw his hands up in the air. Right? <laughs> just like, like, that's not what you wanna see from the guitar player, right? And there's actually a picture on the internet where he's playing wearing a Cheerios shirt and he's got his hands up in the air. Everybody's thinking like, oh, that's a cool look. No, that means he fucked up a few seconds before that. And he's that's his sign of giving up, like, I surrender. <laughs> 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 so, so he, he can't get in he's look, and it, finally he looks at me, and he's got that, and I'm not going to say it, but he does have Native American blood in him. He's got that look in his eyes that the Mike <laughs> Monk that I knew, that. The, the Mike Mark that I knew was not home. Some right. other humanoid, ha- some demon spirit had taken over him.
1: And, and he looked Andrew at Mr. me, yeah.
0: and me being me, I didn't just recognize that and try to placate and calm him down. I said, you're fucking pathetic.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say this, but you had it coming. <laughs> no, no <laughs>
0: not yet. I didn't have you poked a coming. Drunk, you, you he poked poked a drunk took bear. the neck of his guitar, <laughs> that black that Paul, black mm-hmm. took it by the neck and sw- came swinging it at me, at my head, Chuck. At my yeah. head. There was no doubt... The intention was grievous bodily harm, right? He was going to knock and, your brains but, into the next. But room. like yeah. I said, he was yeah. so drunk he kind of—I saw it coming from a mile away. I got to say, you know, missing a fucking the <laughs> heroin <laughs> saw it coming a mile away, <laughs> and I ducked and then I laid down on the monitor in front of me, you know, and he missed, hit himself in the side of the head and knocked himself out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad yeah. there weren't phones about them that recorded everything oh. <laughs> and
0: Then we just started the show and then he came to or whatever like i you know but uh god what a what a guy and so many people that only know him from podcasts or only know him the last 10 years around aa just don't know how wonderful and crazy and the most talented songwriter i mean i say it all the time like it was hard for me or any of my friends to think that we were comparable to Peter Case and John Doe and Steve Ware, that we were as good as them, right? And Mike was as good as them. And I knew it. I knew it in 1986. He's as good as them. He's just the biggest fuck up of all time. And nobody even gets to hear these songs, Right. And this is still part of that because I know how those songs go. I know how Top Jimmy goes. I know how Bobby Kennedy goes. Oh, you sent me Bobby Kennedy, didn't you? Did you send it to me or no, somebody sent me, me Bobby Kennedy? I think Dave Becky did, found it somewhere. But these songs are just so magnificent that that, um, that he wrote and no one's ever heard. And well, you maybe it's better that way. But maybe no, it's better you- that way, but maybe it's not. And and but to me, Mike Mart was a gentle, kind, wild animal. Right? So if a bear comes out of the woods, you know, there's a chance, like especially around here, the black bears, there's a chance they might just like walk past you and be cool to you. Um, that's how no, I always felt. The, um, know. Mike Mars like a panther. He's like you never know what's going to happen. Back when he was drinking and taking drugs, you just did not know. Mm-hmm. Like the girl whose shoes are dirtier than mine is about. Mike used to live in Bel Air next next to Ronald Reagan. Did you know that? Did he ever tell you that? No. He lived next door to Ronald Reagan, <laughs> and so and he put these big speakers out by the pool. Like I'm talking. Four foot tall, the bottom thing was like 18 inches around, like a PA system Whopper. out by the pool, <laughs> yeah. right? And would blast yeah. music, right? And the Secret Service would come over and say, uh, excuse me, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Nancy and the Gipper are trying to nap right now. <laughs> and guess what? the exact opposite you would think would come from mike He'd go oh i'm sorry right i'm sorry and he would go turn his music down you would think he would say "Fuck you right and no. yet he yeah. would say oh you know and we hated ronald reagan
1: <laughs> yeah but he's just a good he's a good guy so, yeah. i mean mike martin's just a good guy that's the other funny thing is over at his sister's house I kept saying Mike Mart, Mike Mart, Mike Mart. And then I looked around because y- you went to his sister's house too, right?
0: No, I didn't. I just went to the um, hospital.
1: There were like 15 people in there. And I go, am I right? Or is he always just Mike Mart? It's never been Mike or Mart or any Mart, other Mart, Mart. It's you. never
0: been Mart. It's not right. But you know, he's Mike, like Mart. Mike Mart. Yeah, it's always Mike Mart. Everybody, Certain people have, you know, two, it's Dick Danny, Mike names. Mart. Right. Yeah, P. Right. Weiss. P. Weiss.
1: Right. You see, it's just one of those things where is is. I don't know if it's because there's a lot of mics and we don't want to get confused, but I know amongst my friends there's not a lot of first and last namers. You know, right. and he's, he's. And then one I'll of them.
0: show They're- you. That, I'll show you that when push came to shove, so Thelonious eventually kind of whittles down, and Chris and Dix were gone, and Mike comes back, and we had Tony Malone and Mike probably at our peak of popularity. It wasn't even the real band that made the records. But Mike came back and he had so much compassion towards this guy, Tony Malone, and he'd like tell him like mm-hmm. what? And like and so he then had now this guy, because he felt in awe of dicks. And and but now it was gonna be Tony Malone and Mike, right? That were this because Tony Malone plays guitar very interestingly, doesn't have regular tuning. So it's he plays chords in a weird way. And Mike liked that. And Mike liked to try to figure out what to play against it. And we got, you know, really good and tight with the, the, the concert that I say where I didn't know what to do with Elijah. And he just sat on the drum riser. That's Tony Malone and Mike, if you look at the video. And, and so he then now found this thing, but by that time, you know, the record was over. Like that's like, it's kind of weird and falling apart. And, but I always You know, I didn't realize until he passed away how angry I am at him for not realizing how good we were and not taking it serious. So the grief is a lot of things. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of I'm next. Like, you know, that's the first Mm -hmm. thing Pete Weiss said, like, it's either you or me next, Bobby. And I was like it ain't gonna be me so, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's you Pete <laughs> <laughs> right, so well. so, uh, so you know what a profoundly sad thing, but it's just so profoundly sad. but in the end, all I've done is listen to the, the the few handfuls of songs. It's really not you're talking about a guy that wrote 30 great songs and there's only 12 you can listen to, right? And um Mike had this idea before COVID hit that we need to form a punk rock highwayman. Right? And I yeah. was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. I said, Well, who should be in it? And he said, I don't know, you, me, Peter Case, Ness. And I was like, Oh, that'd be cool. And then then it was determined that Peter couldn't do it and then it'd be Johnny, two bags be in it. And we really talked about it, and then COVID hit. And I, I really but he would come up with ideas like that, like a punk rock highwayman. How cool would that be? Right? Where you yeah. know, you do cool cover songs and like have this aesthetic. And uh, you know, it just was another of the great ideas that would never be. He wanted to form a noise band. He goes, you know, what if you just talked over top of noise? And I'd be like, that sounds <laughs> awful. I think it might be good. I think it might be good. Like we do metal machine music, and I, I was like, so Mike's palette of what was possible of him to play is everything from him just making a bunch of noise feedback like metal machine music and me talking to a punk rock highwayman. Which, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do something like that, you better do it good, or you're gonna look like a fool, right? Mm -hmm. To reinventing this kind of happens this kind of weird band felonious monster and making it a rock band to and 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 to to making an american pogues is what i always call lone sweet it was like american pogues it had a it had the heart of the pogues not really the sound of the Pogues. Everybody said it sounded like the Pogues because two of the Pogues guys were in there or something. It didn't really sound like the Pogues to me, but it sounded mm. different than yeah. all the lame, boring Americana music. <laughs> you know
1: what I mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. Did it, you ever I mean, see it,
0: Low and Sweet?
1: I, I never saw them, but I've heard. And the um, it's like the, the funeral stuff was way so far ahead of its time for bringing the roots into faster music. You know everything everything Mike did was was based in was based in just the love of music. I just I just always liked talking to him about shit cuz he knew so much about so many different things and he was always interested in hearing more except for when I gave him CDs. I gave him a couple CDs of bands to listen to and then I went to go give him another one and he goes, "Are you just giving me more shit so I have to throw it away?" if you don't want it don't take it he was asking about the bands i was going to see so i was burning them discs you know i mean this is when discs were a thing (laughs) but you know it's just like you know going to see him do the insolvent songwriters thing at uh vinyl solution and him bringing people in i got to play a show there with jim k you know where it was just about the love of music it wasn't about It wasn't about being adulated or people people complimenting you. It was just us making music for the sake of making music. And it was for fun and for free.
0: There is a thing where he wanted to prove to me why he played those songs for me. He would just come over. He would just, I had this house on fountain for like 10 years and he would just show up and say, I got a song to play for you. Right. And then, that kind of became a thing from for, for all of us. Like as soon as you wrote a great song, what did you do with it? You played it for your songwriter friends, right? And so many times I'd sit in my living room and he'd play me the song live, and I'd be like, "Fuck! How does he fucking have the time to do that? I can't even write two <laughs> songs in a year, and he's got he writes he writes a song every couple of weeks, right? It's like unbelievable, and Part of that was, and people forget, I just think based on success or failure or mythology or bullshit, people just make up their lives backwards. They just kind of, if it's far enough away, you can make it up, right? We idolized Peter Case and John Doe. And I idolized Steve Wynn. Mike was more felt like Steve Wynn, like, wasn't equal to you know like he felt i think he was better than steve when i didn't think that but but he we idolized john Doe and peter case like those guys know how to write songs you know some of their records may be overproduced or too minimal or whatever but the songs themselves there's no and the fact that they were in the same town in the same time frame writing these like pop punk hits and anthems and these folk songs and these beautiful songs like there was nobody better than peter case and john dotas nobody not lou reed not bob dylan not nobody and the fact that we were knocking on the door of them right How, mm-hmm. you know nipping at their heels was really exciting and it was competitive it was like you know competitive right and the my curse is the stupid, dumb joke song I wrote is the only song anybody knows by me. <laughs> I, I, was, I was telling Chrissy, like, listen to this song, Nothing's Perfect. Like, this is a fucking great song. But it, but somehow the, the drunkenness and the image and, the, and the me being such a character covers up how good some of my songs were. But Mike, it didn't because they were so brilliant. They just hit you in the face like this drunken homeless guy who wanders around with a twelve-string guitar and never takes his shoes off. Like I don't think Mike Mark took his shoes off for like four months one time. Like he just <laughs> he would just pass out at my house, and then he'd pass out at Pleasant's house, then he'd pass out wherever he went, and then he'd come back and he you know and he all he would do was. Ask for a button shirt he would come to my house and say you know this i tore this shirt Is there, you got you got a shirt and he'd go in my closet and get another button shirt and he would only button the bottom button because he had a six pack <laughs> i swear to god he had, a, he had an eight pack whatever the packs are mike martin had that all through the 80s and so he liked to have you know, you know, he had you know chains around his neck and and I, and he would only button the bottom button, and I've always been kind of weird around the middle. I always button way up past. That. <laughs> I <can>
1: button up <laughs> to my I the these shirt. days. I wear the shirts
0: with the button shirt over top. But and then I would literally see him three weeks later wearing the same shirt, and I and there was no doubt that he had not washed it. He just
1: wore it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he hung it up outside overnight because <laughs> that's laundry for. That's how I did laundry he, for a and long time. And you tell the
0: stories of what he did, I mean, Pleasant knows it. I don't know if Iris was there, but I was there and this happened. And and I don't care if Pete Weiss doesn't believe it and says I exaggerate. I was in living room a disgrace land. Stevo and Mike were fighting, arguing and about and punching each other, fight, you know, like about something like Steve O stole his dope or something. And I just walked in. I was sitting down. I really wasn't paying attention. And then, you you know, there's so many people coming and going at Pleasant's house. It was called Disgraceland. Like, you never, like, really paid attention. You just went there for whatever reason you're going there. And, and so they're fighting over to the left in the living room. And then I swear to God, they pulled out guns at each other and were pointing. And Steve went running down the hallway. And Mike was shooting at him in the house in front of me. <laughs> No. And Steve was running backwards, shooting his gun at me like I was standing <laughs> in the line of fire and I, I dove down and like hid around the corner in the dining room like these fucking guys. What is wrong with them? You know? And yeah. So then, and then, you know, the mythology about yeah. me doing such crazy shit or climbing on shit, that's nothing like two guys shooting guns in the two o'clock in the afternoon in a Hollywood, of fucking apartment duplex <laughs> and nothing happened. No cops didn't even come. Like, it's just like, you know, they just shot at each other. And, yeah. you know, and then nobody believed yeah. me. It was like, just like, you know, I, I don't know if Pleasant saw it, but, but and then they were just off, you know, off together, gone. And I was like, they, yeah. just, shot at, they just shot guns in your house. And Pleasant's <laughs> like, what? And I was like, they just, they were sh- trying they, to kill each other. They were shooting cousin, each other. They just
1: shot guns in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Do something. Oh, well, my God. <laughs> you know,
0: I like Mike, but Stevo was, uh, you know, he was his own cup of tea. Like Steve O was uh, uh, that was one of Mike that was Mike's main running buddy for a while with Steve O. Like Mike had these layers of friendship. So it's like I would say it's probably me and Smog are the ones that he was closest to, but he wasn't really that close to us. He would be in bands with us or drunk with us. But he had this whole other criminal element of people that he hung out with, like people from Long Beach and like, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and he'd disappear for like a week and be like, where'd he go? And I, you know, maybe Smitty was a part of that criminal element. I don't know. <laughs> but there was, know. there was some criminal element going on in Long Beach because Mike didn't live there. He was from Sunset Beach and he, mo- he mostly lived in Hollywood. But all of a sudden, like 85, 86, 87, like you'd say, where are you been? He wouldn't be around for like two weeks. He'd say, oh, down no, Long Beach. And like, you know. I got this thing you want to buy this thing you know you'd have something that he stole and want to sell it to me like a, you know like an air conditioner unit i got this air conditioner unit in my car you have volkswagen and you should go out there and there'd be an air conditioning unit sitting in the front passenger seat you want to buy it <laughs> like how much <laughs> for 50 bucks it'd be like the only cost i like got a- 200 and how do I know it even works he goes well if you're going to be like that well, fuck you and you drive away with them. Try to sell, <laughs> you know like the air conditionings that go in windows he would yeah. just have one in his car where'd he get it from Chuck Where, where'd he get that air conditioner unit it,
1: it probably fell off a truck and he tried to return it <laughs> to the truck driver but they didn't stop I could see him running down the street with an air conditioner going hey you dropped this <laughs> <laughs>
0: but there was something went on in long beach car stealing went on in long beach i think i think there was volkswagen stealing going on also because
1: so for volkswagen yeah
0: you can get the engine out in like six bolts right
1: i think it's four, like four yeah
0: bolts and you can just take what? the engine out of the Volkswagen. that was going on there was some of that going on somewhere down there right because mike could be flushed with cash once in a while i'd be like you owe me like a hundred bucks and be like, well, you're not going to start collecting debts now, are you? Let's get some, let's get some drugs. I don't, you know, straighten that up. So if he had, he never paid back debts. And then I adopt that too. Like, you know, you already got the money. You don't need to pay it back. Let's just keep going rolling forward. Right. And, uh, Schmog was there when I visited with Mike in the hospital. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and, you know, Smog has the greatest stories of 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 you know taking acid on the road. That that's the first time Mike toured was with Smog and Tex and the Horseheads, and I don't I don't think Tex traveled with them. I think she was a separate entity unto herself. So it's just like Mike and Smog and Rock. Like God knows what happened out there for months and
1: months.
0: Right? Sounds fun. <laughs> and, and we were telling stories and we were telling, one of Mike's best friends was Robin from Rat. And right. yeah. they were a strange combo, Mike Martin, Robin from Rat. Cause Mike's like <laughs> looking like this Keith Richards guy. And then Robin's got the teased up hair and six foot seven. <laughs> <laughs> like my, you know, and seven you, inches of hair. You see the two of them coming, walking up towards your house. You're like, what? That? something? Nothing good is going to happen here tonight <laughs> but it's gonna be fun you know what i mean because then <laughs> they you know what i mean the the, the stormy weather was played all on rat guitars did you know that robin loved mike so much and knew that mike didn't have a guitar or shit always chris, chris didn't <laughs> so robin <laughs> had his crew deliver all his guitars so on i remember being in the studio on the solos on that mike plays on um, so what if I did or or Sammy Hagar or whatever he's playing that
1: uh, Robin's white Firebird guitar <laughs> that, <laughs> that
0: ruins so it for cool. you doesn't it
1: <laughs> well I always see him with classic guitars yeah so that, that's a little different
0: well look on the internet I think Robin gave him one and there's pictures of Mike playing a Firebird on stage but it's not white that was Rat's thing they were all white all the time but um you know, and and now thirty-one years of sobriety. So I just want everyone clear. Mike Mart died. I was trying to get him morphine. He was he was moaning in the hospital, and I said, "Mike, are you in pain? Like, you want me to talk to them? Like, because I'm, you know, some healthcare expert or something."
1: Yeah, <laughs> but he's nursing he's, li-
0: home. he's listening <laughs> to us talk, and he's interacting in the conversation with me and Smog, but he's really just like stretching and mug. Oh, ah, ah. Yeah, and I said. Are you? It, it, I asked the nurse, is he on morphine? Because one of the things when you know it's the end, it's they just round the clock morphine. That's what Maureen, our friend that we were talking about last week. So it's round the You have a button, you can just keep pushing it. Uh, you know, yeah. it releases morphine every 15 minutes, but you can just push it in anticipation. Right. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't on anything. Now, this yeah. is like, this is Wednesday, and he died on Tuesday. Six yeah. days before he died, he was refusing morphine. And
1: it, so that it, it, guy it, died
0: more sober than anybody you'll ever fucking meet, because he could have been getting oxycontin or fentanyl since fucking March, right? Didn't he? Say, didn't he say something to you about that? He didn't. Well, we. It, it, it is true. Cubby refused meds, and, he, it, and Cubby's thing was. He wants to experience death. That's what he told our friend Kenny. He wants to experience it, and he doesn't want to be fogged out. It's not like some
1: moral AA thing where I don't want to end up no, no.
0: relapsing. Like oh god,
1: no. But you know? no, but <laughs> I, I totally, I, I totally, I thought about that. Where it's just like, yeah, man, I kind of want to look it in the eye and go through it. I want to. Well, everybody the says that,
0: but uh, but he does do it, and Mike but Martin he said did it. it
1: when mike martin said something he did that something that he said he would do that's why i that's another reason i mean that's why i had to write men there's so many reasons i respect the man and the way he showed uh so much compassion uh for other people it's hard to talk about him in past tense but one of the um things you were talking about maybe doing something at uh, mccabe's i think that would be so cool if it were all four hours and there was music, but breaks for people to tell their stories. Because yeah. I, I I, think even though some of the stories being told at his sister's house, Maybe weren't great for the kids to hear, but it is who their dad was, (laughs) you know. And I know because you know uh, Mike was there and Johnny was there. Well, we had
0: fights over. He didn't like his kids to know about his drug use early on when they were little. Well, he didn't want to glorify it, you know. And I understand. Well, it just is what it is. I, I have a different opinion. Like my kids know everything from the time they know what's up, and you can say that's wrong uh sydney sydney like when we were going to go down there to visit him a second time on monday night sydney said i want to go i want to say goodbye sydney is seven years old and she knows that you would be seeing mike for the last time and saying goodbye to him i think more parents need to reconsider how they sanitize death they sanitize drugs they sanitize, sanitize falling down they sanitize everything this Because we have raised a generation of kids that can't handle anything. How are they going to handle their own lives? We're seeing it act out in real time. Millennials don't know how to react in real time in real life. And I think it's because we protected them. Like nobody, I always say, my my grandma, Lori Forrest, died in my the other side of my family's nursing home in Culver City. And I was there. And I, I was like, I was probably six or seven And I was like, what's going on? Everybody's like, Bobby, don't worry. Go sit in the office. And I was like, I kept sneaking out of the office to go to the room because so much was going on at my grandma Lori's room, right? And then I saw her and she was dead. And they were making arrangements and calling the coroner and all my aunts were there and my dad was there. And Then all the phone calls have to go out. I witnessed it. I saw her dead body. I witnessed it. I think I'm better for that. I know how precious life is, how it's gone in a fucking instant. Don't waste all your fucking time on your phone. You know what I mean? I can tell you one thing. Mike Mark was not on his phone a lot. I was on his computer a lot, but not on his phone. I went to dinner with him a thousand times, never saw his phone because he wanted to tell you about some band you got to tell paul t about like he was always hyping alex bar bands <laughs> you yeah know? <laughs> you know like hey well you know to play coachelli you kind of <coughs> got to get out of the alex Bars. you got to kind of get in the next level i think even like no these guys are great earth remember this band earth he would talk about that band is it earth I, is the band I,
1: Right. i don't remember
0: and uh And so he would hype these bands knowing that, you know, Paul's a good friend of mine. And like, uh, like I could say, Oh, there's this band that plays Alex Barr every Thursday night. You should have him play Coachella. But Mike was always like talking and talking about things and being a part of life. Like I try to be. And, Mm -hmm. and it was, and, and this generation of kids are just think they know everything because they're glued to their phones. Like, you know, that that's not going to work. Yeah. And I think we have to stop sanitizing everything. And he and I disagreed vehemently. I said, your kids are going to find out you were on drugs. Most of your adult life. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. when? <laughs> when, 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 when are they going to No, We fought about this. I said, when, yeah. like, when they're 12, when they're 13, when they're 11, when they're six, when they're nine. Right. And he goes, I just don't want them to know all the glory details. I said, you know, then you're saying you can control everything. You're, you're going to control everything. The, the magic of us is we're sober. But they have to conclude, like, why do they make such an emphasis of not drinking? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, what right. is there's the big good, deal about not good drinking? <laughs> there's good reason why, why
1: we don't do what we did.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I just, you know, got to know, because it is so shocking. I remember a friend of mine uh, raised their kids in self-realization fellowship, and he and I were talking. The girls were getting to be like, 16 and 13 i said you know when are you planning on introducing real life to them because they've lived in the santa monica self-realization center everything is wonderful bubble away from reality when do you start to introduce like there's homeless people there's greed there's selfishness there's mental illness there's drug addiction that doesn't get all solved by the yogananda You know what I mean? And he really was puzzled. He couldn't, he had started the journey of keeping them pure and away from phones and away from television, away from the world, and just kind of as best you can, keep them in this safe environment where they can learn and grow and not have fear and all this kind of stuff. But at a certain point, you start that, but you have to decide what's the end game here? What's the long term plan? When do we introduce this? And I think Mike had some sit-down talks, but but you know it is it is a it is a journey for every sober addict. Like you know, Sydney asked me what is drugs, and I said, "Well, it's the thing you take to change the way that you feel." And I said, she said, "Why would you want to do that?" And I said, "Well, because you know, there's a lot of feelings that are less than perfect." And she said, "Like sadness," and I said, "Yeah, like sadness." And she goes, but it goes away. Right. So a seven year old, right. six year old at the time knows that it goes away. For some reason, when we get to be 15, we never think it's going to go away, Chuck. <laughs> and we've got to yeah. get some pot to make it go away. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Smoke some it, pot and make it go away. It, it's, it is, it has been a really good thing. I couldn't, uh, the other, when, when on Tuesday, I couldn't. Bug was uh, a lot of his hair is falling out really fast from the uh, treatments, and he's yeah. bummed out about it, which is I didn't think he'd be that bummed. I know it's not a vanity thing. He's but a teenager, he's a teenager, though. Come on, but, you it, it, but it's just hair. like he wants
0: to have long hair.
1: He's like, you know, this just sucks. And then it was like, I, I did the post, and then I said, you know what? I can't do a post about a man we both cared about because he really every time we saw Mike Martin, it was something fun. It was at a musical event. It was at Ohana. It was at Sweet and Tender. It was at House of Blues. It was at Garden Amp. It was always somewhere fun. Always doing something cool. Yeah. And when I when I told him, he I said, Yeah, he's he, he died this morning. He went peacefully, and um, and so he, you know, that's the way he got better. Is is his body gave up, and uh, and he didn't say anything. I said, Are you all right? and he said yeah i'm all right and today i picked him up from school we went by my mom and dad's just because they wanted to see him and he broke down the whole mike Mart thing how he'd been in the hospital twice speaking clearly speaking fluidly which is not something he does well you know yeah and he told them everything about mike Mart, how he'd been to the hospital a couple times but his his body wasn't getting better and and then uh you know he 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 died, but he was with his family and with his kids. And he knew lots of people loved him. And, um, and and he goes, and I'm I'm sad, I'll miss him. You know, and it was just like it was so cool that whole process of going from oh man, he's gotta get better because I want him to, to just the accepting of, you know what, man, this is this is life. And when it's someone, I mean, because he hasn't had a grandparent or like someone super close die, you know, Mike was the closest person yet. And he really liked Mike, Mart a lot. Um, so it's, it's heavy. It's kind of changed things around here. And I've been, like I was talking to my sponsor and I go, dude, I've turned into a bitch. I go, I'm breaking down. Like what you were saying, I'm breaking down at the drop of a hat because you didn't become a bitch. You've just embraced it. You've always been a bitch. (laughs) <laughs> I, okay. You know, I just, I I didn't, I haven't changed. I'm just not running from it because that's not what we do. We We allow the feelings to happen so they can happen and we can feel them and we can go to the next, the next phase. It'll happen. I want it to happen quicker, but it's going to happen the way it happens, how it happens. And this is weird. This is the thing about Mike
0: the understanding that he had right about this because this just happened with Dix. I didn't go to Dix's funeral. You know how many people texted me, Why are you not here? What the fuck is with you, right? Um, just I've been to so many funerals and I just didn't want to, I you know, and I'm thinking about Mike, am I gonna go to his funeral or whatever? I still don't know, but I just don't, I don't know. To me, to me death draws out all the people you haven't seen in 20 years. You know what I mean? That's part of it. And I, I've talked about that before with Dick's like, you know, I went through hell with Dick's trying to get him social security and and you know, it's just like where were all those people then? I think I think of that. But but anyways, w- w- but more about Mike was the the kids. Like, you know, I I expected when I went that first time to talk with him, he was going to say, you know, I want you to look out for the kids or whatever. And he didn't say that. He had this sense that everything was okay. Everything was mm-hmm. all right. And that a lot of that is Devin. I mean, I don't know why they got divorced. Like that woman is solid as a fucking come, man.
1: I could like, couldn't agree more. It, it's just like,
0: isn't it shocking? Like so the fact that they split up, it's Mike's fault. That's my, that's my stance. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be Mike's fault. <laughs> no one has been more gracious and answered texts. Like, imagine how many texts she's been answering in the last 10 oh days. Oh, my God.
1: And she's been asking phone numbers. She's the one who, well, you,
0: know, I, I, you know, Mike doesn't plan anything, even including the the, the hospitalization two weeks ago you know, it's all so touchy, but he and I were not too touchy. I said, what do you want to do with the podcast? And he goes, I don't want to think about that. And I was like, that man, you know, you're going to die. What do you want to do about the podcast? And I wanted him to tell me, cause I really only do it for, because of him. Guess what? He did tell me who was the last guest on our podcast. Yeah. I had said a week before that, what do you want to do with the podcast? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Then what does he do? Get Elijah, my son, to be on the podcast. And it was so we magnificent. We didn't even, we didn't even so ask for a guest. It was great. We, yes. yeah, I hate guests. I don't like guests. I I like guests for like 20, 30 minutes. Like, I, you know, come on, you know. I, you yeah, they
1: know, they, they really get into your talking time, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. It interrupts the
0: talking time. But um. Because you never know with the guests if they're going to be good, so sort to of tell if they're going to stick on point, if they're going to be able to get back to the on, you know, like what the subject is here. What are we talking about, Mike? And our love and reverence for Mike, and we're trying to convey to Smitty and Wiley and Sosie Hublitz and everybody that listens to this podcast how much we love him. Explain what happened. He didn't want anybody to know. I knew, you knew. I mean, I didn't. Here's the weird thing: I didn't even know if you knew how bad it was. But I didn't even, I didn't want to talk about it because if you fuck under Mike Mart, oh, he's coming after you hard. He's coming <laughs> like, what are you fucking talking to Chuck about my personal health care? Like, you know I what, don't, though?
1: I didn't, want that, did, right? didn't you take advantage of that? When I saw him at the hospital, I uh I I, I petted him while he was in bed and he like growled yeah, yeah. at me and then I gave him <laughs> a little hug and he did like another like, but I knew he couldn't stop me. And I, and I, and I touched him again when he was over at the house because he was not a touchy feely oh, guy, touchy feely, but I've he never, would bring, he would bring Bugs in super a, tight for hugs.
0: Never had a sincere hug from him. Never, but I didn't need but, it. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't a hugging type. He wasn't that certain people are like, you know, yeah. but, um, but anyways, he, he kept his secret and, and I thought when I, really went saw him when he was you know really pretty bad that he was going to tell me what he wanted he didn't say a thing i said you want to talk about anything he's like no i was like hearing you talk and i was like well i can talk all night if you want you know what i mean so me and yeah. smog were talking you know, he would kind of he was you could see his eyes open he was facing us me and smog were talking we were there for like two and a half hours they didn't kick us out of the hospital we were actually locked in the hospital Right. They yeah. we had to find a doctor to let us out and unlock the emergency room door to get out of the hospital. We stayed there till like eleven forty-five. And uh yeah,
1: visiting until nine.
0: Yeah. And so <laughs> so we were there and he would doze off and then he'd wake up and then he chimed in some stories, you know, that we were talking about. But really, you know, this is to straighten the record. Mike Mart died like how he lived. Um Badass, badass, an example of how to die. Like, I don't know that I'm going to have that lack of fear, that embracing of what's next. You know, we started recognizing people dying in like 83, 84. Friends of ours would die. You know, uh, uh, this guy, earache, and, and, uh, you know, like Greg Limborg, this friend of ours. And like, people started dying very early on because it was not the healthiest uh, lifestyle crowd, right? And and Mike's way of coping with it was, ah, uh, he went fishing. He, he used to always say that. So Greg Limburg, wow. went fishing. He went fishing. Uh, that explains your text. And, yeah, he went fishing. So Mike went fishing. And, uh, and it was our way of coping with it. Like when Hillel died, he was the one that pointed out like, how much of this is people that really knew Halal? Right, you know what I mean, and and that only magnified over the decades. Like, how many really knew Kurt Cobain? Like, Mike knew him. Mike knew him. You know what I mean? But you, it's the same thing. Like Beck played the Viper Room one time. I I helped Jack Zender, another friend of ours that died um was managing Beck, and he was he hadn't made uh Mellow Gold or whatever he he was just like a wandering minstrel around la and i thought and i helped connect it that he played the prestigious viper room and it, people hated it and he got booed off the stage and they closed the curtain on him or whatever there was probably 80 or 90 people there through the years i have talked to Two or three thousand people that were there. So. <laughs> yeah, right?
1: yeah. But, but,
0: but and, you know, and Mike, Mike recognized that about Halal's death. Like you know, Mike and Halal were not close, but they were you know, they were they. I'm sure they used together many times, right? So the idea that he could, he wanted to cut through the bullshit, but get to the heart of things. See, I just want to cut through the bullshit, and I got no plan after that.
1: <laughs> God, no. Well, that's you know that's really the bullshit. beginning of a plan. That's that's not really a plan. That's the bullshit. What do we want? The, to, what do
0: Mike we... wanted <laughs> right. to get the heart of things, which is what did this person's life mean to us? And I went visit Top Jimmy when he was dying in the hospital in Las Vegas, and Mike said, "How you know what was it like?" And I said, "It's just like talking with Jimmy. Like he's not any different. He didn't talk about death. He didn't talk about." anything other than what happened yesterday. And what you know, that he wanted me to know that he didn't do the thing that I know he did. That was one of the most horrible things anybody's ever done to me. <laughs> right. I won't get into the details, but, uh, I used to let top Jimmy house sit my house. Big mistake. I admit it. Like when I go on yeah, tour, like bad, it, it bad, it was bad, bad, bad. So one time I come home and he's let the electric, uh, thing shut off, right? The only condition is like pay the electric bill, pay the phone bill. It's like $25, $30. Like, how hard can it be for you, Top Jimmy? And I'd be gone for like two months. I come back and uh I walk up to the house, first off, it's just like shit everywhere. Broken motorcycle in the driveway that's being kind of worked on. My house looks like shit. There's like trash just piled up like in front of the house rather than just like, bring it to the fucking dumpster and wheel the dumpster out once a week and let them take it away. The entire month where the trash is piled against the house. And he, and I see these orange cords and I'm like, orange electrical cords. And I go walking <laughs> in and, the, and at my house looks like shit. And I'm like, and he's sitting there and I said, What's going on? And he goes, Oh, you didn't pay the electric bill. And I was like, There's no electricity. It was like and uh but he goes, but well, I got the TV and a light in the bedroom it's hooked up. So he ran, he ran, he went and got extension cords, those orange extension cords, and plugged it in behind the house next door. You know how sometimes you'll have plugs at the outside your house. He jumped yeah. over the fence plug the electrical cords in and then ran it up over to my house just so and, and know what junkies care about the tv yeah. and one light one light so you can see when you're shooting up and the tv Yeah. So <laughs> <that> you-
1: <laughs> yep.
0: and uh and mike is gone and what we're going to do next i don't know but i know that he didn't really have. He didn't really want to talk about a lot of things, and but he was not scared, and it will be an example to me when I go. Um, I can't imagine not being scared, but no, I know Mike they, Mart, and he was not scared. He was not scared.
1: No, he didn't and want to be seen looking like that, but he had a dignity and grace even in that state.
0: So, there's a lesson in everything. But we had heard that Cubby died that way, and I think Mike idolized cubby who's hubert selby jr for you that don't know um the great writer who was a legend in aa um and had a profound effect on us uh he went out the way cubby did like strong uh kind everyone i i was there yeah a lot of people walk in and out he say, i love you to every single person that came in Mike Martin wasn't a big, I love you guy. <laughs> like all of a sudden, no. anybody that walked in the room, he'd say, I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> right. And, uh, and that's part of that embracing of the universe that I think he was doing. I think he was opening up his spirit to the great unknown, right? Going fishing. Yeah. But to me, I believe When I asked him directly what he wanted to do about this podcast and he had Elijah be on the last podcast he knew he was ever going to do. I think the intention is clear and that's for you at home. Who do you think's engineering this fucking podcast right now? My son, Elijah. And as the weeks move forward, we're going to have all Mike's friends. Come on, celebrate Mike. We could never have all of them. We'll do it as long (laughs) as it seems to make sense. Um, but listen, we're going to put them out more frequently, I think, because it's this, this overly emotive time, like about Mike and how precious and important he was to all of us. So we're going to probably follow it up in three days with a podcast with probably his greatest friend, Smog, and we'll have Johnny two bags and hopefully Smitty will come on Wiley and, and all the people that Mike lived with throughout his journey in life. We're going to have them on and tell Mike Mart things. And this is going to be difficult for me, Chuck, because I'm going to have to be quiet.
1: Right. I was just thinking we should probably do a couple at a time. So yeah, that, a couple. It's, it's not a, painful yeah. for you.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah. But anyway, Elijah's at the board and look at this. This was a test for Elijah. I told him not to talk. Did he talk, Chuck? Not once.
1: Wow. So I know. So look, he's not even going to say anything now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So shaming and so shaming and and getting in people's faces as a parent works because my son (laughs) is gracious. My son is gracious and kind and thoughtful and gets shit done. And he is right in the center of millennialism, my friends. (laughs) So Elijah, (laughs) you can now talk. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) All right. and that's all the time we have for tonight. Wow. Thank you for coming and, Elijah. Uh, oh, Good <laughs> Hey <night>. everybody. <laughs> Love y'all. Don't die. <laughs> I did want to say I did want to say one, one story from this week that is I know how hard it is, Dad, for you to keep news to yourself. I know this is a really emotional thing, a heart wrenching thing, but I never realized how scared of Mike you were because you really didn't tell me at all. Elvis oh, yeah. ca- Elvis called me Friday night and said i yeah. want to say goodbye to mike <laughs> i said what the hell are you talking about he's like i don't i don't want to get well he
0: that's for i don't think he was he was on top of chuck so much i don't know how much you knew chuck but he was he told smog i don't want anybody to know he told the people that he was confiding and he didn't want anybody to know but he kept pounding away on me every day like Because he knew what a gossip I am. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I'm proud of myself. You know, i proved two things, you know, in the last couple of years that I can keep my mouth shut. Right. And one is a private thing about chili peppers and business. But the other thing is this, like I didn't, you know, my wife didn't really know. I said, I have to go see Mike right now. And she knew he was sick and battling cancer or whatever. And she said, why? And I said, Cause this is it. And she just looked at me like, this, this is it. He would see what are you talking about? We just saw him a week ago. And I go, this is it. And so I kept it a secret. Cause Mike, you know, he was pretty frail. I don't think he could have beat me up, but he, you know, the wrath <laughs> no of Mike, the wrath of Mike can come in many ways, not just to let's fall over the head.
1: <laughs> so give so, your mouth shut.
0: Yeah, I kept my mouth. I,
1: I I hope he can haunt. I wouldn't mind a visit from him. Oh yeah. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Top Jimmy, I just wrote this song about you. Um uh we gotta get these songs. Elijah has Mike's computer. Uh Devin and the and the kids were gracious enough to let us use his computer for a while to get these podcasts done. Because of course, Mike didn't think about anything. He didn't think like you know, you probably need the program of how to upload to the internet. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't <laughs> a detailed guy like that. But we have Mike's computer and I'm sure Elijah, you know, don't pry, but I think find find all those songs. I know I know they're in there. That's and normal. just put them on a zip drive and let's record them. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, and, to the and we're gonna we're gonna like you know, we're gonna have all all the people close to Mike, this is going to be a celebration of one of the greatest characters I've ever known of. He was part of him, like, especially in the eighties, he was like out of a book. He was like out of a John Kerouac, Jack Kerouac book. He wasn't like a person. He he was like, you know, we, 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 had, we got a flat tire one time out of El Paso, Texas when we were on tour. And, I was just pissed and nobody was doing anything. And I was like, I was like, Oh, let's just walk. And it was 26 miles to a town. So I'm walking fast. Like, let's get, we're hitchhiking kind of on I 40 or I 10 or whatever the fuck it is. And nobody's stopping for me and Mike Mart and the rest of the band stayed back at the thing. And then Mike's just going so slow and he's going through everything on the side of the road. He's picking shit up and looking at it and he's moving bushes to see what trash is in the bushes. I was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? We're, you know, like we got to get somewhere to get a tire to fucking. And he's like, you know, when truckers get pulled over, they throw their shit out the passenger window. So he <laughs> thought he was going he to he find like, speed pills or meth or something <laughs> and, like walking down the freeway and, uh, and then Hope we, we walk like, for like eight miles nobody's picking us up and he goes hey look across the freeway and and like um half a mile into up the road of the uh on this desolate part of of new mexico you could see a beer sign right you could see it like me and him had radar for beer signs, but you could see like either Coors or Budweiser round neon sign. You could tell that's where we're going. So we run across the freeway, jump over the fence and we start walking toward the sign and sure enough, it's like this bar restaurant. And so we just got drunk there and we were there and we forgot what there was eight guys back waiting for us. Like most people would go order beer, ask to use the telephone, call triple a we got to get on like me and mike just sat at the bar drinking until finally the band pulled up in the van that somehow they got it fixed they you know and they're like what the (laughs) fuck are you guys doing it but then Weiss said he saw a beer sign. he knew that's where mike and bob are. (laughs) can you imagine being in a band with us those poor guys i I really gotta someday i I I I need (laughs) to make it right with pete weiss but i just don't know how but I mean, we probably we were there for two hours getting drunk and just forgot. We really did just forget that we're in the middle of nowhere and the truck is broken down.
1: That's the childlike <laughs> mind. There it is. If it's not in front of you, it doesn't exist.
0: All right, so stay tuned. You're going to hear some really great Mike Mark stories coming up. This is the Don't Die podcast. I don't know how much longer we're going to do it because our main man has left the building. But We'll see how it goes organically, whatever. And love to everybody. Love to everybody that's texted. Love to everybody that's called. Yeah. Love everybody to everybody that's posted that's on
1: Facebook. Fuck There's you to the people that said him.
0: "od question <laughs> mark." Fuck those people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but when you keep shit a secret, Mike, what are you, uh, Chuck? What are you supposed to do? Like uh, all yeah. of a sudden, out of nowhere, one of the great guys of Los Angeles died. People want to know. Well, from what? Died from liver right. cancer. Get carvoni. Yeah. Get get your medical checkups. Me and Martine have been talking about that. I haven't been to the yeah. I haven't been to the doctor in probably four years. I'm going to go after
1: the first of the year. No, I, I've said um, that to more people than anything. Um, is just yeah. you know what? I'm glad I have a wife that forces me to do those things because I've had a lot, a lot of shit go sideways. That if I hadn't caught it, you know, who knows?
0: Yeah, you, you had know a so lot of if,
1: shit go sideways. You had a lot. Yeah. Of I've been cut open more times than I care to think about, but, but the idea of, you know, this stuff, it sneaks up on you just cause we're sober. doesn't mean bad things don't happen. Uh, well, everybody
0: our age needs to go to the doctor and, uh, and check and check everything. I'm going to do it after the first of the year. All right. Love yeah. to you all. Thank you, Elijah. You did the most magnificent yes. job of replacing Mike Mart as producer. Thank you so much. And everybody, if you can, go on the internet. Find a song called Across the Pond. On the, It's Across the Pond, right? Yeah. It's the fucking greatest song I anybody I know has ever written and I know some good songwriters. All right. Love, peace, good night.
1: I'm going to have something to eat. Good night, good bye night. Bye. Well, I can't, I can't believe we made it through this, guys.
0: Don't die. I only almost cried twice early on. I was pretty stoic.
1: <laughs> I right, All right. Bye, guys.